1: Welcome to episode 428 with my guest Marini Goodyear. Uh, my name's Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show and the social media handles are mentalpod. Uh, that would be mentalpod.com, and you get the rest. Um, today's episode is is I think a really special one. Uh, we kick it off with Marini reading a letter to the men who took advantage of her when she was a young teenager, and um, it's really eloquent and. Um, covers a lot of gray area. Um, I don't know. I just, I think it's great. It's uh, one of the reasons I wanted to have her on as a uh, guest. The cutting board number has been picked and uh, the winner is Christina Diaz. Uh, the number that I had randomly selected from a computer-generated thing was 180, and she guessed 177. And no, it is not the same Christina that, uh, that I'm dating. That would be, uh, what would that be, nepotism? No. Um, so, Christina, I'll shoot you a message through Patreon and uh, get your address and and send you that cutting board. And hopefully there are more cutting boards uh, in my woodworking future that I can raffle off to you, Patreon donors. And also people from uh, PayPal can submit guesses. Um, The next time I do one, it's just I have no way of contacting monthly PayPal donors because PayPal is an outdated, ridiculous dinosaur. I want to read a couple of uh, surveys before we get to the interview with Marini. Uh, this is an awful moment filled out by a guy who calls himself Elvis didn't do no drugs and uh, he writes, I had just fed the dogs and I was watching a bit, bit of TV when I got an alert on my phone. I instantly thought, whatever it is, I'm sorry, <laughs> genuinely assuming it was an angry response to something I had said or done. And that was when I realized I had forgotten to take my anxiety meds. Thank you for that. This is just an excerpt from a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself bottomless guilt and coffee. And his darkest thought is... I don't love my family. The only thing keeping me in contact with them is that I'd feel like a bad person for leaving. On top of, on top of that, my sister's life is completely falling apart right now. It's just one tragedy after another. I'm looking after her and her kids as much as possible because she's basically on suicide watch, but I feel like I'm suffocating. Uh this is sadly such a common not necessarily the circumstances of Of what he's going through, but the feeling of being suffocated by family and taking on things that make us feel suffocated because we're afraid that we're a bad person if we don't do them. And obviously, uh, there's, you know, it's not a black and white thing, but I always think of that saying that they do about keeping your battery recharged. Uh, that they make the announcement when you're flying that before you put, if the masks drop and the pressure be- uh, cabin becomes depressurized, put your mask on before putting so- somebody you're traveling with before putting their mask on. Because if you pass out, you can't help them. And not only do you deserve to not feel suffocated in your life, but you are not a bad person for cutting contact with people who are toxic in your life. And sadly, it is so common because we're going to wind up taking that anger out on other people or ourselves. And you, you deserve better. We all, we all deserve better. This is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself the Red Green Show, and she writes, Today is the day after St. Patrick's Day, and it's the 10th anniversary of the first time I puked blood after a hard night's drinking. Most people would have taken that as a sign that they need to moderate or stop drinking. However, I'm an alcoholic, although I didn't know it at the time, and vomiting blood was a consequence that I was willing to put up with. I put up with it for almost a decade, in fact. Towards the end, it was a daily occurrence. I drank through so many consequences, hitting lower and lower bottoms, until I was finally willing to admit that I am powerless over alcohol and that I needed help. I reached out for help in November and was finally willing to go to the one place that I never wanted to go, AA. Looking back, I have no idea what took me so long just to check it out at least. I found myself relating to so many people in the program. When they talked about how they had been where I was and were sober and happy now, I felt hope. It took me a couple of tries, but I have 50 days of sobriety today. I put in a shit ton of hard work already. I've done step five, doing six and seven this week. There have been so many tears after years of being numb. So much fear. I've felt so overwhelmed at times, but each time I get through it without drinking, I get a little better and a little stronger. I'm just really grateful on this morning after St. Patrick's Day to be sober and not puking blood. Shh. Shall- <laughs> Why why not reach for the stars? Uh, Shout out to all the people in 12-step programs who dedicate their lives to helping others recover. And if someone out there is hearing this or reading this or maybe even listening to it and you are suffering, know that there is help. Give yourself a chance. I'm really glad that I gave myself a chance. Kudos to you, man. That is so awesome. Just awesome. Now, how how happy is St. Patrick with the The turn his day has taken. Maybe you should come back and lead those people out of the city. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by Leanne, and she writes, The last day my brother choked me and told me he was going to kill me, I looked him dead in the eyes and told him to do it. Happy moment for me because my fear was gone. No longer afraid of him hurting me or the inevitable. Instead of fighting back like he always wanted me to, I accepted what was happening and that I couldn't change it, but in doing this, I changed everything, and he never laid a hand on me again. Also, the courage I got to tell my oldest sibling that it is not okay to molest me the way he had been doing for six years. Once I got the courage to stand up to my older brother, my life began to change for the better. I was no longer scared. Wow, that is so beautiful. It is so beautiful. And I've seen this many times where, where people um, almost wake an abuser out of a fugue state with something that it is that they do or say. And I don't know, I just, sometimes I'm just speechless at the power of these moments that you guys share. One of our sponsors for today is Unum. It's an employee benefits company. And uh, they recently released a report on the state of mental health in today's workplaces. And uh, it's not good. Uh, Mental illness is one of the top causes of worker disability here in the US. 62% of missed workdays can be attributed to mental health issues. Let that sink in for a moment. 62% of missed workdays. Uh, However, the UNUM research found that more than half of working adults said their employer doesn't offer a program or policy to address mental health. That that is criminal. That is criminal, at at the very least sad. Um, And 42% of that group have come to work with suicidal feelings. So now is a good time. To evaluate your employee benefits, and if you're not aware of a mental health program in your workplace, talk to your HR manager about making mental health a priority. And to download the UNUM Mental Health Report, visit unum.com. That's unum.com slash mental health. I want to also give a shout out to uh, our sponsor, betterhelp.com. They provide online counseling. I'm a huge fan of it. It's been helping me weekly for years. If you want to try it, I highly recommend it. Go to betterhelp.com slash mental. Make sure you include the slash mental so they know you came from this podcast. And just fill out a questionnaire. They'll match you up with a betterhelp.com counselor, and you can experience a free week of counseling to see if online counseling is a good fit for you. And you need to be over 18. Uh, and then this is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Mommy Issues. And... She uh, was dating an abusive boyfriend who uh, was sending her abusive text messages uh, while she was on vacation with her family. And she writes, My mom and I have never had a great relationship. Her response to any kind of relationship issue is just break up with them. And I always felt like I was bothering her, so I often kept things like this to myself. I'm very emotional, and she's very practical and not that affectionate with me, so it's hard for us to communicate. My broken relationship with her is one of my deepest emotional wounds. Also, I was ashamed that I was still in this relationship and was still in love with my partner despite the abuse. So I suppose it's fair to say that while I felt I couldn't talk to my mom about relationships, I'm sure that she would have helped me if I had actually been honest about what was going on. I was so filled with anxiety and overwhelmed and I didn't know what to do. We were at a beautiful cottage, and I was trapped in one of the darkest metal states of my life. One night, my family and I were sitting in the living room. They were chatting and relaxing, and I was pretty quiet. I was lying down on the couch next to my mom with my head close to her. Without breaking conversation with the others or addressing me, I felt her warm hand on my head, and her fingers stroked my hair. I felt so much relief in that moment, and my eyes welled up with tears. My eyes are welling up with tears right now from just remembering this moment. I had no idea that that was exactly what I needed. Even though we couldn't communicate verbally, it was as if her body just knew that I needed comfort. I have never told her this, but I might one day. It's one of my favorite memories ever. Nobody's Nobody's cool and everyone's scared scared and And we're just just all in in this this together. together. (laughs) There was no joy Overeating Apathy doesn't leave any marks Numbing out Physically I wish that I was a girl Panic attacks were so violent Rudderless They were mistaken for seizures Shot coke in my neck The TV was talking to me Romantically, I am becoming the woman that I feared He said, there's going to be a second of fake. Nothing's real And I'm going to die Sometimes I just go, hey, I can't deal Just beyond broken
0: I'm on out You have to, like, fantasize about the person I'm with Don't
1: going to Fucking someone else It's okay to be a blogger, an artist, um, a survivor. Um, you wrote a blog piece that I read. And I really liked it. And I thought this involves so many topics that have so much gray area. And so many people feel confused and alone in dealing with it um, and specifically the topics of being violated while you're under the influence, and other topics as well, but the surveys that I read uh, on the on the podcast so often someone can't have compassion for themselves because they were drunk when they were violated um and I just thought the, the piece that you wrote um, was great. And so Thank I wanted you. to have you on. And I would love to have you kick things off by reading it, if that's cool with you.
0: That is cool with me. Thanks for having me. Sure. Okay.
1: And when did you post it? How long ago?
0: I posted this on October 15th. And I think like so many other people, oh. the um, Dr. Ford's testimony, I think... It uh, really triggered a lot of people's past traumas, mm-hmm. and so that—that's what triggered this.
1: This—this this was during the confirmation hearings for uh, Kavanaugh.
0: Yes. Um. Yeah. I found myself, um, very depressed, very confused. Um. It brought a whole lot of shame. You know that kind of I lived with anyway, but mm-hmm. usually just kind of managed to put you know in the other room. Um, brought that back up and, um, I ended up in my therapist's office and she assigned me a letter. She said, I think you have something to say to these men from your past. And so that's where it came from. Okay. Yeah. So the title is, I was a promiscuous teen, an open letter to all the men from my past. From the time I was 13 on, I was a promiscuous teen. I'd like to say that at some point I learned from my mistakes, but after listening to Dr. Christine Blasey Ford's testimony during the Kavanaugh hearings, my past came barreling back into the forefront of my brain, and it's clear to me that the behaviors I learned in my teens never really ended. They went with me into my 20s, 30s, my marriage, how I parented my daughter. It's all right there in front of me now, like a glaring light that I just realized has been on and blinding me my whole life. Dear all the men from my past, before your instinct to defend yourself kicks in, it's important for you to know that I don't blame all of you. I have no desire to live in anger or point fingers. That is not the purpose of this letter. Please read the above sentence twice, a few times maybe. It's 100% true. However, do not confuse my desire to live at peace free from anger as my saying that you are negate of any responsibility. There are many of you who I do blame and hold responsible. Some of you took advantage of a young girl with a substance abuse problem. Some of you were older and thought because I looked and acted older than I was that it was okay to have sex with me. At least that's what you said to me. You're so mature. Is not Is that how you de- justified yourself? Truth is, I'm not too sure what would make an 18-year-old have sex with a 13-year-old or a 19-year-old with a 14-year-old or a 24-year-old with a 15-year-old? Does it matter to you what the age differences are? Or those of you who took advantage of me when I was completely inebriated, mornings when I woke up in an empty bed without pants on, not even really sure who had been in the bed with me? Those of you who took me out and drank with me to access and then thought it okay to have sex with me, leading up to moments of my coming to alone in a room at a party, not really sure what had happened at all? Some of you I cared for and was desperate for you to care for me. Some of you with whom I shared a mutual sexual desire, or at least as much of one that a young teen can have and understand, I had fun with only to realize that that is all it, was, it would ever be. And some of you actually cared about me. Whatever the case may be, past sexual traumas have been shoved in all of our faces these past few weeks, and many of us are reeling from the things that we haven't thought about in years or maybe just swept under the carpet and thought that it wasn't a big deal, unaware of the daily emotional strife that has been caused from it. I've heard situations described that I have had experience that I have experienced in my past, now talked about as violations, and it never occurred to me that they were until now. What I want you to know is that it is a big deal it has it has had a long-lasting ramifications on my self-esteem my decision-making, and my sexual and mental health as an adult. I may not blame all of you for the past, but if another generation of men are raised thinking that this type of sexual behavior is okay, that's a problem, and one I do put directly on you. And if another generation of women are raised not knowing how to use their voices, that's an issue as well, and one that you also have a responsibility to rectify. I was a very confused girl who wanted attention and love. Rarely did I say no. Rarely did I push you away. If I started to say no, I was easily swayed once a bit of pressure was applied. The fact is, I didn't feel like I could say no. That saying no meant never having love. That it was better to just let you do what you wanted rather than say no. That the way to get love was to be amenable. The way to stay... The way to make you stay was to put out, but none of you ever stayed. The reason I don't blame all of you is that we live in a society where I unknowingly was taught to please men, and where men, perhaps at times unknowingly as well, have an expectation of women being agreeable to meeting all of their needs without argument. Were my parents direct messengers of this? No. But it was all around me, in magazine images, TV shows and movies, The realization that one of my favorite John Hughes movies portrays date rape never occurred to me until someone wrote a blog post about it last week. We are being told about blatant attacks, horrendous sexual violations, where women feel their lives are in danger. And this type of behavior is obviously abhorrent in a black and white sort of way. However, there is also a huge gray area that needs to be discussed – where women may be confused and not communicating what they feel deeply because of social and sexual pressur- pressures. I wanted you to like me. I wanted you to love me. I wanted you to be there and no just didn't seem like an option to get that outcome. It is important for you to know that I was a terrified girl looking for approval. Is that sexy for you to know that I was most likely full of doubt self-loathing and terror when we had sex. I sure hope not. In your defense, I will say that I never let you know. I never learned that it was okay to use my voice, and it's something that as a 42-year-old woman I am now having to deal with. What you did has had a long-term effect on my life. I have had to fight back from a debilitating alcohol problem that increased greatly during my teens and didn't stop until I was having suicidal thoughts in my mid-30s. I still live with daily anxiety battles and grapple with depression at times. We're now learning that these are all issues that women who live with past sexual trauma are more likely to have. And think about this. We are also more likely to pass these horrible behaviors down to our children. So, men, here is what I am asking from you. Talk to your children. Talk to them about sex. Awkward as it may be, it is only awkward because we make it that way. If they are old enough to ask the questions, they are old enough to get honest answers. Tell them the ways you got it right and the ways you got it wrong. Admit to your mistakes so they know it's okay to admit to their own. Tell your boys that if they see a girl drinking heavily throughout the night, it's not okay to have sex with her, period, even if they're drinking with her. Tell them that if she's under 18 and he's over 18, no matter how mature she is, it's rape. Teach them about what actual consent is and how consent can be sexy because it creates trust. Teach your boys that cornering girls in parties and trying to forcibly kiss and or touch them is wrong. Yes, even if the girl has a reputation for being easy. Tell them that if a girl says no and then yes or yes and then no, there is conflict brewing inside of her. And that if there's conflict, sex is not an option. There must be clarity and consent before sex. And please tell them that a proper response to a girl saying yes and then no is never can I just finish. Teach them that it's not okay to expose themselves to anyone unsolicited ever. I didn't grow up with cell phones, but in this case, I'm also talking about sending unsolicited photos. Teach them that while engaged in sexual activity, consent needs to be asked for again before trying new things teach them about healthy sexual trust, and that the way to please a woman sexually from the beginning is by building that healthy foundation. All of these things happened to me, most of them more than once. I was a troubled girl, and that led me to being a troubled woman for a very long time. I drank and didn't say no, but that doesn't mean that any of this was okay, and I'm slowly learning that it doesn't mean it was all my fault. I was a child when I learned these behaviors, and they carried into my adulthood. I also want you to talk to your daughters. Tell them that no matter what, having sex, allowing, touching, kissing, oral sex, whatever it may be, none of it will lead to love. None of it will ever make boys stay. That love and trust leads to sex, not the other way around. Tell them that having sex while inebriated can cause feelings of shame, guilt, and confusion, and to make it a rule for themselves that when they're drinking, sex is not an option. Tell your daughters that if they ever feel pressure to do something that they're not comfortable with, to use their voice because they hold more power than they may think. Teach them that they should be as loud as they want when saying no, that if they feel discomfort in a situation, even if they can't pinpoint exactly where the discomfort is coming from, that it means something is not right, and therefore it is not the right time to engage in sexual activity. It's okay for them to leave the situation. It's okay for them to defend themselves. The fact that they put themselves in that situation does not make it their fault. And make sure you're clear that whatever boy makes her feel pressured or uncomfortable is not a good person and will never make a good partner because in reality, he doesn't care about her. He only cares about finding sexual release. And it is uh, of the utmost importance that your daughters hear this from you, their fathers, They can have these conversations with their mother as well, but hearing it from the most important man in their life will make a huge impression. In my case, having sex never made one of you stay. It just meant that you would tell your friends that I was an easy lay. I would be so happy when one of you would call and ask to hang out and I can still feel the desperate humiliation of that translating to being brought to a remote place to have sex in your car. Time after time, I allowed this to happen. I was frozen in fear. Is that what you find sexy? A young girl too scared to move? The thought of my daughter having to go through what I am now going through makes me want to vomit. It should upset all of us, including you. I pray that you see the problem and talk to your kids. I hope that you, the young man who took advantage of a much younger and troubled girl, look at your own daughters or nieces or cousins or stepdaughters when they are 13, 14, and 15 years old and think to yourself, That's how old she was when I fed her drinks and slept with her. Is that sexy now? We all have to take responsibility for our own part. I've been dismantling my past behaviors for the five years, now six, that alcohol has no longer been in my life. But now, over the past couple of weeks... I have relived all of it, including an intense deluge of the shame, guilt, and humiliation which I have unknowingly been living with every single day since I lost my virginity, drunk at 13 to an 18-year-old. I feel this every single day. Have you felt any of that? Have you thought back on your own behaviors and felt a crushing sense of pain? I'd like to think that some of you have, but I have a feeling that you have not thought twice about it or me. And that has to change. It is time for you to see what this behavior does to women. It is time for a change to be made. I have to find a way past the shame, guilt, and humiliation which has now turned into anger, sadness, and exhaustion. It's time for you to pitch in and do your part. So will you? Sincerely, a promiscuous teen.
1: Thank you for that. Sure. What did you... My, and, and I have to say, uh, you know, there were parts of that where I, I was just like, that's that's me. That's so hard. And it's not news to me that there were parts in there that described me. But it's uh, – I, I would feel like a hypocrite if I – don't own up to those things when these topics come up on the podcast. And I try to do it every time. Mm. Um, as much as it, as much as I don't like to, uh, you know, I feel like the, the one thing people can count on when they tune into this podcast is that I will be honest with them. And, um, I just, I feel uh, like I have to be honest about that. Uh, The the first episode where I became aware of the effect of my past behavior was, I think, the first year I, I interviewed Gina Grad, this would have been 2011, and she talked about how many times she was silent during sex, and she just kind of wanted it to be over with. Um, Mm. Or she hinted that she didn't want to, and the guy would, you know, proceed in trying to change her mind. And that was me, Mm. many times. And, you know, while I never took a 13-year-old out and and got her drunk and had sex with her, you know, there was a lot of gray area uh, of, you know, not really wanting to hear... A version of no not thinking about how much has she had to drink not thinking about a power imbalance um and it makes me sick it really makes me sick and the selfish part of me is worried about my own skin and that's that's a hard thing to Mm. to reckon with um but i think it takes some of the power out of it if i if i can say it out loud so i i i would like to say to you and to anybody who's listening who has never gotten an apology from somebody um who wronged them uh i am sorry
0: that is very amazing of you and i think that's the beauty of what you do on this pod- podcast is the just brutal honesty and i and i i didn't want to share this letter to be honest i mean i did but i did i mean just reading it to you i just broke out in a sweat you know it um
1: that makes two of us but it also might be the tea <laughs> Maybe the tea it's that i make.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah it, it, i had tried to because i i write my blog and
1: and what is the name of your blog
0: it's called the art ventures of marini and um i i initially started it to talk about my art process within my studio um and very quickly i realized how um there was this huge emotional tie to my art and that i couldn't really talk about the art without talking about that and so i ta- started talking about anxiety and depression and you know all, all of the things that i struggle with and um and it really became Well, A, more people contacted me about the blog than they were at the time about my art. People really resonated with it. And um, so that felt great because I didn't – I wasn't alone, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But this letter was different because I had – I had tried to write about it in the past. Writing the blog post had been a great way to organize my thoughts that I was confused about. And I could get them on paper and, and then I could really see what was going on. But I had tried to write about this and I just kept typing the words, just breathe, just breathe. And I just couldn't get it out. I couldn't get the words out. So um, when the assignment was given to me to write this letter by my therapist, it was amazing. I sat down to write the letter and I wrote it in one sitting in about, you know, an hour, I think. And, um, and I read it, and I brought it to her and I read it to her. And, um, and, you know, I said, I, I'm thinking about sharing this on my, on my blog, I mean, it's okay, because nobody reads my blog, you know. <laughs> and, um, and she encouraged me too and, mm-hmm. and I said, well, I'm gonna have to talk to my parents and, you know, my family. And she looked at me and she was like, you don't need permission. And that took a second, you know, for me to 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 really understand that, that I could share it and I didn't need permission and that um, in sharing it I was um, taking my power back. You know, I was admitting to the thing that I felt the most shame about my whole life that I hadn't really known that that was what I had felt all the shame about. Um, but once I figured it out and shared it and the responses started flooding in. I realized I wasn't alone. Um which also meant I wasn't unique, which is a little bit of a blow, but <laughs> I got over it. And um and then uh you know and then kind of going through the sadness of oh my god, so many people feel this way. Oh. Um but then I started feeling freer. And when I would start feeling like that wave of anxiety throughout my day i would remember that i wasn't hiding anymore and it like took you know a bulk of it away almost immediately and that's when i realized what i had been walking around with for my whole life
1: can you be more specific about what the shame was
0: um i i didn't want to sleep with all these men i didn't want to i can honestly say with you know all of the truth in my heart that every time i slept with one of these men i really thought this time is going to be different he's going to love me he's going to want to be with me every time
1: and are you talking about the ones where you were under 18 or this continued after you were 18 was there always uh an age difference what what uh, help me understand the the pattern and the, and what situations brought the most pain and the most shame.
0: Um, I think it definitely happened more um, as a teenager, um, and that includes you know my first definitely you know beginning of my college years. I think going to college was a huge step for me because I, I was you know gaining confidence in something that I chose to do and. Um, And so it it got easier to (sighs) be more picky, I guess, (laughs) but the outcome was still the same. It was still me wanting something from the scenario that I wasn't going to get and that I really thought by using sex um, that, that that would get me that and I even went through times where I would be like, I'm not having sex with you, you know, for this amount of time. And then, you know, like a weekend, you know, there I got, you know, well, well please, please, you know, or whatever mm-hmm. pressure was put on and, and I would cave. Um, but um, I definitely think as a, as a kid, um, it was just a way that I saw I was getting attention and um and that felt good until it really didn't and often that could like happen in five minutes you know um and i i think i read somebody it might have been a comedian or somebody was talking about how you know they remembered the day that they realized that they were worth more than just their vagina and and that really resonated with me because i really thought that that was like all i had to offer Mm -hmm.
1: do you remember that moment
0: Remember the moment when I thought that that was what I had to offer?
1: No, when you realized I'm more than what somebody thinks of my body or my vagina.
0: Um,
1: it was Thursday.
0: <laughs> yeah, right? It was, it was about you know, when I was sitting in traffic on the freeway. Um, no, I don't, I don't remember that. And in fact, um, I, I think if we really get down to the nitty gritty of it, um, I still think that in some ways. Um, I know that it's not true now is the difference.
1: Isn't that funny how we can emotionally feel something in our bones, but intellectually know it's Mm -hmm. not true? I I mean, I was sharing with you before we started recording uh, that I still feel like an exaggerator when I talk about the stuff that happened to me as a kid. Uh,
0: Yeah, it's like you're disclaiming and feeling like you have to apologize all in the same sentence. Right. Um, Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's habitual thought patterns that we develop Mm -hmm. and then it's just really hard to shake them
1: did you did you what were the negative self beliefs that you had that you were what weak willed or dirty or what 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 did what was it that you were telling yourself that was keeping you stuck in shame
0: um i think that you know i just deep down really thought i was like you know a huge slut or a whore, or I would be in a room, you know, back home, um, like visiting for the holidays, and I would realize how many men there were in that room that I had slept with, and I would just all of a sudden feel so dirty and embarrassed, and um, and you know, and then there, I, you know, I I do recall there was a time. I was in my late 20s. I was out um, with a girlfriend of mine. We were all dressed up. We were having a night. And um, I saw a group of these guys at a con, like at a music hall. And um, one of them actually came over to me and said, you know, he just looked so smarmy when he said it, but he, he was like, We used to have so much fun, didn't we? We had some real fun. I just looked at him. I was like, you know what? No, we didn't. That wasn't fun for me. And that was probably like the first time I ever said something like that to someone. But what made me probably not ever confront someone like that again was the look on his face after I said it. Total confusion. And I think that that there's a huge disconnect there. Mm -hmm. Um, And... It's really hard for me to put all the blame on that confused guy because I didn't say no, I didn't say this doesn't feel right, I didn't say any of those things. I just let shit happen to me, yeah. and um, I think there just there definitely came a point at some point in my twenties when I when I knew that that wasn't really what I was doing anymore. Um, or my relationships, I guess, mm-hmm. changed. The way I interacted with men changed at some point. But um, but it didn't really change what had happened for, right. you know.
1: And, you know, as you share that moment where, where he looked confused, you know, the the time I've spent in support groups and hearing both men and women share their, their inner lives and reading the surveys uh, on the show um, – I've come to realize that when we enter into a situation, whether it's a one night stand or a committed relationship, we all have some degree of fantasy in our brain about who we want or expect that other person Mm. to be. Mm -hmm. And sometimes in the absence of getting information that clarifies that we will go on believing what we want to believe. And that can lead to some uh, miscommunication People being hurt or used or confused, and that's not to justify what anybody does. Uh, I think at the end of the day, the most important thing is, is if somebody was hurt is for that person to heal, and if somebody is responsible for that person to uh, be informed that, that there was hurt, and for that person to look inside themselves and say, what can I do to change? You know, yeah. is there, is there any amends that, are there any amends that I, that, that I can make? And that to me is so much more important than the public shaming on social media that mm. we tend to, uh, it's almost like the modern day, uh, you know, throwing the, the Christian to the, to the lions. Um,
0: it's just so cowardly. I mean, I, when I look at the things people say on social media and on you know, comments and blah, whatever it is. It's just, it's so cowardly. I I doubt that, you know, the people that said nasty things to me after the blog came out, I doubt they would ever say those things to my face. But because they have this, like, veil mm-hmm. of internet anonymity. It's
1: like traffic. Yeah, like, you I can tra-
0: flip you off in the car next to me, you're never going to see me again, right? But, you know, yeah. that, yeah, it, uh uh... Yeah, I forgot what we were talking
1: about. <laughs> uh, the Having fantasies about who that person is oh, when you confronted that guy sure. and he looked confused.
0: Yeah, and I think we do that in many, many places in our life where we, you know, see what we want to see and create, create c-
1: scenarios yes, this, of what we
0: want the outcome to be. And I get all that. And there's, you know, why shouldn't that come into play with sexual relationships? You know, sure.
1: Which is why communication is so important.
0: Right. And, um you know, it, it is really true that I, I'm I'm not angry anymore. I just don't want to see this continue. Like, I'm never going to be able to watch a John Hughes movie ever again. Because I... And
1: what scene was it that you're referring to?
0: I was um, talking about Sixteen Candles where the prom queen gets wasted and goes home with the geek and he has mm. sex with her and she's like blackout drunk, you know? Um. But there are definitely more scenes. Um, there's, you know, in John Huseman. And I, I. people keep saying, oh, it was the time we lived in. It was the time we lived in. And I would love to think that this doesn't happen anymore, that it was just the 80s, you know, and the time we lived in. But I, I you know, I think it's pretty clear, you know, with what's happening in, you know, our society right now that that's not the case.
1: And... Uh there there is also way more instances of than than we would imagine more instances of it happening where the genders are reversed um because we tend to not think that men can feel overwhelmed sexually you know we tend to think that it's about a wrestling match and who's gonna who's gonna win right and and it's not about that you know f- very often there may be uh, emotional manipulation involved oh, um, yeah
0: i was really good at that i mean i was a huge emotional manipulator um yeah you know i heard from <laughs> a lot of old friends mm-hmm. um who were men and they had they brought their perspective to the table of you know one mentioned being shamed in high school because he wasn't trying to have sex all the time and you know one brought up well you know if we can't have sex with you when you're drunk then that means that you can't have sex with me when i'm drunk and yeah i i I totally agree you know There are so many facets, so many avenues of conversation that we could go down and, and, you know, and that became very obvious to me. And this letter came from a really deep emotional place within me. And, you know, I I have learned a lot and I've talked to a lot of people um, and I've thought about like amending the letter or something. But I I don't want to do that. I want it to like be what it was, which was people can
1: extrapolate where they need to. Yeah.
0: And maybe I'll do a follow-up to it one day and and talk about what I've learned. And I found it really interesting to have conversations. I was getting all of these emails, um, direct messages, comments from women who were just, like, pouring their hearts out about their own situations and terrible things that happened to them and saying things like, how are you telling my life story, you know? And and then, you know, I had the men who were coming and— And some of them were very defensive. And my reaction to that was, I think it's interesting that your first reaction is defensiveness. And I think that's something we should talk about. You know, I I don't know what the right answer is. Mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, and as we were talking about before, I still feel shame. You know, I still think about how much I drink. And, you know, it's really hard for me to have, like, 100% of forgiveness for myself around that. Like, I I played a part. Um, And, you know, I can have a million people sitting around me saying, it wasn't your fault, it wasn't your fault, you did nothing wrong, you're a victim. I've had people say that to me, you're a victim. And it would be really, really amazing for me to be like, I'm a victim. I don't have to do anything now, I can just, you know be shame-free, and I'm a victim. None of it was my fault. It was all their fault. That's not how I feel, you know. Um, that isn't how I feel at all. And I do know that um, I have developed a lot more forgiveness for myself. You know, alcoholism is a disease. I I'm a, I was a sick person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from 13, I was just you know, I drank straight from thirteen to thirty-seven or thirty-six or whatever. Um, but it's, uh, you know, so I guess my whole point is like, I'm not trying to say this percentage is your fault now, and this percentage is my. It doesn't fucking matter. Like, all that matters is that we're talking about it, and that behaviors change going forward. That's really all that matters. And
1: people who are wounded get the resources they need to heal and get the compassion. And
0: And learn how to be compassionate for themselves. I think that's a huge deal. Because that is something that I have been able to do through all of this. Talk about that. Um, So when I heard Dr. Ford's testimony, and there were some other women who uh, they... They also gave testimony. I heard descriptions of these parties that they went to. Um, It it was like I was at high school with them. I mean, it all sounded just so familiar. And it was at that moment that I think I realized that um, not all of this was my fault. Not all of it, you know. Um, So up
1: until the testimony, you had still been completely blaming yourself. Oh, yeah. Really?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, it's not something I talked about it's not something that I, I think would I would have been able to say that clearly yeah. um, but I realized and had
1: you been in therapy at
0: that point um, yeah but it was not something I talked about really gotcha. in therapy I talked about you know my alcohol problem I talked about my anxiety I talked about depression I talked about you know all these things it, it honestly never connected yeah. for me. I never saw
1: the promiscuous behavior wow, leading you, to
0: any of it. You did it. a
1: good job of burying it, you know. Oh. It's we do pretty incredible jobs of burying oh the the most traumatic stuff.
0: Yeah, and it made me sick. Like it really it made me a sick person, you know, I had chronic um non-diagnosed pain um, you know, that nobody could figure out like why my knees hurt all the time and why, you know, I was having all these you know, body problems. And um, when I started doing the real emotional work um, in quitting drinking and doing mm. stuff like that, like that stuff kind of started going away a little bit. Um, but it, you know, I really just was a stuffer. I would just stuff it all down. And I was really good at um, putting on the face that the person in front of me, I, I that I interpreted the person in front of me wanted to see. Mm-hmm. I had lots of masks and i was really good at fitting in with lots of different groups of people and um you know i was a just a really good pretender mm
1: mm-hmm. and is that the the, the I, I imagine that's the role you uh you took in your family to uh kind of survive where do, where did it come from the the not feeling comfortable uh having a messy emotion not having a need and your family because generally I find people that wear a lot of masks it wasn't uh an environment growing up that was conducive to saying, "Hey, I'm hurting let's focus on me right now um here's everything that's going on, and I know that as you' as a parent, you will listen to me and give me the attention and compassion and comfort i deserve
0: I I think that in a way I saw it as um, just in the back of my head always thinking that that's not how a person should be like you shouldn't be having these thoughts and feelings and you shouldn't be acting this way so it was like a a place of Um, What
1: thoughts and feelings?
0: Oh, you know, just the the shame, the humiliation, the need for attention, the, you know, the sexuality, the drinking, all of it, you know, like I.
1: But where, how did it manifest itself before you started drinking, before you started having sex? What, what do you think led to you? wearing masks, saying, I need to be who somebody wants me to be, because to just be my authentic self is not an option?
0: That's a really good question. Might have to go back to the therapist's office for that one. (laughs) I'm not sure, to be honest. I've never felt comfortable within my own skin ever since I was a kid. It could
1: also be an alcoholic thing, because I know that's, that's every alcoholic that I know myself included we have always felt like i am not enough i need Ugh. i need to work some type of angle to be safe in the world because i'm either not interesting enough or um it's it's just not interesting enough life isn't interesting enough with me just being me i'm uncomfortable
0: yeah uncomfortable and i was also you know Really, really tall, really, really young.
1: Yeah, you were saying you were five ten when you I were eleven. Five
0: ten when I was eleven years old, and I know that because I found at one point like a seventh grade journal from English class, and the first page I described myself, and um, and yeah, I was like you know I'm f- five ten, eleven years old, blonde hair, you know, and I was like oh my god, so yeah, I always felt awkward. Not only was I really tall, but I was like string bean skinny. Um, It seemed like wherever I was, and I have heard this a lot from other people that deal with alcoholism. It seemed to me that no matter where I was, I was never like the others in the room. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, my high school, um, athletics were a big deal. It was a small school, and a a lot of who I consider to be the cool kids all did sports. And I would try and try and it would inevitably end with me quitting halfway through the season because I just couldn't stand to be on a volleyball court with everybody watching me and feeling like I was going to mess up all the time. And it was just like – I just never – and then, of course, when I quit – I would have that feeling that I just failed, Mm -hmm. failed, you know, and and now I was embarrassed because everybody saw me as a failure. And, you know, I mean, I can go down, I can go down those rabbit holes, you know, and I remember going down them from a very, very young age. Um, So, and I was also very good at charting. Like, okay, if I'm on this chart, am I better than you or not as good as you? Mm Mm-hmm. So there were people that I was better than and there's people that I wasn't as good at and good or as good as and then, you know, it was like that whole thing of being like the most egotistical piece of shit in the room, you know, yeah. It was like, I am so arrogant. And I think I'm just so much better than that half of the room, but that half of the room terrifies me. So I'm going to put on a mask. And I'm going to pretend to be something I'm not to combat that fear of not feeling adequate.
1: And that's why Facebook is popular.
0: Oh don't get me started. <laughs> um, oh yeah.
1: So how do you think if if at all this has affected your ability to be intimate um you know uh sexually, non sexually, uh personally, platonically, romantically? Um is is that something that you can speak about um does that turn any light bulbs on in your head or does that just feel like too uh (sighs) and then the reason i ask and and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording is that most people i know who have survived uh sexual trauma it affects our sexuality um for many of us it the sex becomes about control validation rather than connection
0: yeah um, so I think there's a few thoughts floating around in my head Um, one is that um, I realized safety was a big issue for me when it came to sex feeling safe and that the uh, act
1: itself or before the act could happen
0: um, the act itself um, I never really felt safe, n- n- you know, even in my marriage. Like, I, I just – it was not – and I still had that thing, you know, um, where I wouldn't say no. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I it's just completely amenable to anything. And so I think that um, that came you – know, that was like a pretty much a constant through the whole thing where
1: I just – Would you just shut down then?
0: Yeah, pretty much. Or put on another mask Mm -hmm. and, you know, just take the role of whatever I thought was appropriate for that moment.
1: And would you not say anything because you thought, I don't want to make waves or this is going to be too difficult of a conversation or uh, this is just my issue and I don't, you know, this is, this is.
0: It definitely felt like my issue. I felt very alone, pretty embarrassed. And um
1: would it be that you didn't want to have sex because you didn't feel safe? Uh,
0: y- yeah, I mean, it or it would just um, like I had this conversation with a a girlfriend when I was getting married that I really thought that, you know, one of the keys to a good marriage was to just never to say no to sex. Wow. I actually said that. And she actually agreed with me. Wow. So there's that. Um, and then, you know, figuring out what I have figured out about my past behaviors and having forgiveness for myself within that... Um has enabled me to speak up in my relationship and and when I'm not feeling safe um I asked to be told that I'm safe and um and that's a huge comfort. I think I just felt broken, you know, and who wants a broken wife, you know? Like nobody wants a broken person. That's what that's what I thought, you know. So it was just much easier To just kind of go with the status quo of what made sense to me is what a successful marriage and, you know, relationship looked like, rather than getting down to the nitty gritty of, wow, these things happened to me. Like, you know, my husband didn't know about any of this stuff. Nobody knew about any of this stuff.
1: We barely know about it.
0: (laughs) Nobody talks
1: about it. (laughs) Nobody talks about it. And I'm glad you brought up the topic of feeling safe. And I, I... sometimes feel weird when I when I will say to my girlfriend, I feel so safe when I'm with you because I'm the man. She's the woman. It makes me... Uh, there's a little voice in my head that's like, oh, you fucking wussy. <laughs> but that is the most appropriate word because it's not about I feel physically safe with you, although I do feel that as well. It's I feel emotionally safe with her. I feel that there is a connection based on honesty and trust there. And that feels amazing to me. And I feel a level of relaxation and comfort and nurturing from her that is um, a new level yeah. for me. And the best word that I can find to describe it is safe. And I wish that I could find another word that – but that, that it is, didn't sound so was it <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, and so the reason i i, I want to say that is be, is to see if you want to clarify what safe means to you in that because i think some people listening may think uh, what she feels like r- her husband's going to hurt her or something no. and so I, I i would like you to to clarify that to to help them understand
0: So my husband and I, um, from just about the second we started dating, and we had been friends for years before we ever started dating, so we had some level of trust already kind of built in there. But from the second that we started dating, I felt totally safe in his presence. I felt secure. Um, He's just very, very constant, steady, stable, stable content, you know, he's that person. Um, I had never felt safe in a sexual relationship before. I didn't know how, really, I think. And it's not like he's going to hurt me. Um, It's more like the feeling in my head that, um, that having sex is going to lead to someone leaving. You know, it was like a Maybe some some type of abandonment in a way where I just felt like, um, you know, I used to do this to make people stay. Now here I have this person who isn't going anywhere. Um, but something about having sex triggered those feelings in me where I would just immediately, you know, have that feeling where once this is this act is done, mm-hmm. it's done um even though again logically i know that not to be true but that's what i meant and that was a huge thing for me to realize you know to to be like wow i that's my problem is i just i feel so insecure in these situations in a sexual situation i just feel entirely insecure um and so um just to be able to be able to ask to be told that I'm safe with that with him, emo- you know, like that he's mm-hmm. not going anywhere. You know, man, that's sexy.
1: It's it's you know? an amazing an amazing feeling. And another word that that I think could be interchanged there is to feel known. Mm. Yeah. To to feel known and accepted, like th- there, nothing is hidden. And for me the a safe feeling comes from that other person knowing the full picture of us and accepting us.
0: It's really interesting because when I, I talk about these things and um, lately I've had people comment um, on social media or wherever, they'll say things like, I see you. I'm, I'm witnessing you. That feels really good. Really good. Really good. Um, Because I think I spent the majority of my life hiding. Uh, So to be able to say all these things that are, I mean, um, they're hard to say, but I have to admit, like, for me at this point, all this shit is really easy for me to talk about now. Like, now that, like, it's all out... What does it matter? You know, like, if people are going to judge me, they're going to judge me. I've been afraid that they were judging me already for my entire life, so...
1: And and anybody that would judge you for that, you don't want them as friends anyway, so it actually works out quite well. Oh,
0: yeah, but I'm also the type that, like, judgment from strangers will, like, you know, crush my soul, you know? I mean, I'm just so sensitive. take everything personally, you know? Um, But, yeah, to, to be known, to be seen... Um, to be seen without wearing the mask, mm-hmm. um, huge, um, you know, I, I feel so amazingly blessed in my relationship now that I have a partner who, you know, when he saw kind of all this happen last fall, um, there was, he didn't even skip a beat, man. He was just like, what do you need? What can I do? How can, how, you know, how can I help?
1: And, man, will that strengthen a relationship. Oh, yeah. And it's like if we don't let that other person know the pain that's going on inside of us, we don't give them the opportunity to show up for us and to, and to deepen right. that connection.
0: Right. Because it's like an automatic assumption that they're not going to show up. Right. I think that's a lot of it. It's like I can't speak my truth because people are just going to tell me that I brought it on myself and I'm being dramatic. Right. And – um And I think that was partially also, you know, a reason why I never said stuff when I was a kid is because, you know, I would say things sometimes to friends and they would tell me that I was making a big deal out of nothing and, you know, things like that. And, you know, these are my lovely, lovely friends. I'm still friends with a lot of the people that I was friends with in high school.
1: They're just not the people to go to about some...
0: Right, but when you're 14 You don't know that Yeah, you're just like, oh, they say I'm Okay, I shouldn't talk about this Because they say I'm being dramatic And that it's not a big deal So there must be something wrong with me Because I think it's a big deal So I'm just going to shove that again yeah. Under the carpet, you know So um, Yeah, that letter has been clicked on In every country in the world Really? Yeah
1: What's that feel like?
0: um uh, it it feels amazing it feels just like there's no okay it feels amazing at the same time it really saddens me because i would hear from women all over the world who resonate with this and you know i saying before where i figured out that i wasn't special you know in this situation and um And then I would sit there with my head in my hands going, there's so many, Hmm. so many of us. And I, uh, yeah, I kind of hid it on my blog (laughs) because I don't get a lot of traffic to my blog. So I was like, I'll just put it there. And if people want to see it, they can. And it just went crazy on social media. And it's still like people still every single day, there's people that are coming to it on my website. So, you know, that I don't get as much correspondence as I used to, but every now and then I do. And um, I'm just really glad that all of this is so in the vernacular right now. Like, mm-hmm. it's it, people are paying attention to it now.
1: And isn't it funny, too, that when you revealed the very thing you were ashamed of, you got form of the intimacy you had craved.
0: Oh right, yeah, that the, the, made
1: you seek the thing that made you shamed. <laughs> Wait, say that again. <laughs> the, the intimacy you were you were after by trading sex for for close and what you thought would be closeness. Mm-hmm. You were you were a, I'm. Don't let me put words in your mouth, but that 13 year old you wanted intimacy, wanted connection, wanted to be seen and validated.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it didn't work out that way. And then you felt shame. But then by telling your story about this shame, you connected yeah. with all these people around this the world in a form that was actually very intimate. Even though it's not face-to-face, two people saying to each other, I see your pain. Your pain is valid. It doesn't get much more intimate. No,
0: you're right. Th- I've never, I've never really thought about it that way. But you're absolutely right. I did have a moment where I was like, "This is the thing that I have felt the most shame about my entire life." And I have been writing blog posts and creating art and trying to get people to look for a few years now. And this is the thing. Yep. That they're gonna look at, mother.
1: Fucker. Fucker. That's that's why I, <laughs> I always say to, to guests when, when they say, can you cut out that part? I'll say, I'll cut anything you want out, but can I just give you my opinion? M- my opinion is that because that was difficult for you to say, that will bring comfort to someone else.
0: Yeah,
1: And just take a moment and, and, and think about it. And, and get back to me. Yeah. And uh, sometimes they still want me to cut it out and sometimes they, they want me to, to leave it in. And But every time they want me to leave it in, I get emails from people who very often that changed something in that person, that turned a light bulb on or brought him comfort or got him through a difficult weekend. Um, and that's the...
0: Yeah, I mean, getting an email from a woman who said, "I never saw this for what it was until I read your letter," and oh my god, of course, of course, I see it now. You know, they're having the light bulb moments that I had when I when I wrote it. That's amazing. Did
1: That's you, amazing. Did you ever feel in some way like the universe was writing th- writing through you? Oh, I
0: feel that. I feel like that all the time.
1: Oh yeah, as an artist.
0: Yeah, yeah, I do feel like
1: that all the time. Because when you said you sat down and it just flowed out of you, I was, yeah. I was like, that's, those are the moments as a creative person that are mm-hmm. just so incredible.
0: Yeah, and the best blog posts that I write um, develop that way, you yeah. know, and the best paintings that I paint develop that way, Um I I think people in general right now are craving intimacy with other people.
1: Absolutely. And it's
0: part it's part of the reason why I I know for me I'm an artist, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm trying, you know, to get my art out to the world. I have to use social media. Mm. At the same time I think it is such a just a terrible tool in that it um that there's just no intimacy for it. I call it everyone's best of real. That's what I call mm. it. I'm like, let's look at so and so's best of real and see, you know, and it's just I, you never really know what a person is like um through social media. And then there's always that thing where you have that friend who does post about the hard, ugly stuff. And my first reaction is always, Oh God, oh God, don't don't do that. You know? <laughs> and then I'm like, wait a minute. No, I want people to do that. But it's interesting because we've all been, I think, conditioned. And this is totally me. Just I have no data on this. But I really think that especially my generation we was raised by a generation of people who were pretty much told to not show their ugly side. Mm-hmm. And I think my generation is also a kind of rebellious generation. And we're all a little bit older and get gotten to know ourselves pretty well. And now we're all like fuck that you know like we're gonna tell it all and um you know like i remember hearing from a friend of the families who looked at my website when it came out and he was like you know you should remember that people are buying a beautiful piece of art they don't want to know about your emotional stuff (laughs) and i was like okay i kind of feel a hundred percent different on that like I think that people resonate with the artist and the emotionality of the artist and not exactly yeah. the one. But okay, you know. But it's just interesting, that the perspectives, and I just really feel like we're kind of entering this new period of time. And I do think it can swing to the extreme sometimes these days.
1: I think when social media is used with the intent of connecting to, to people in a peer way, Great. It's beautiful. Yeah. I think it's when it's used to try to elevate ourselves or to impress people. I think that's where the it gives it feeds the sickness.
0: Sure. I love seeing people's babies. You know, I love that part of Facebook. I love mm, that's that. That's where we you differ. No, oh, yeah. You know. um, no, I'm
1: just not a, not a <laughs> baby picture person. No, I mean, but, I
0: love keeping yes. up with people and their families and yes. what they're doing. Yes, and, and I'm, happy,
1: I'm happy for them. Yeah, but, that's yes. great.
0: But um, when I see, like, the influencers, mm-hmm. I'm like, that is not a real person. That is a brand. Um, and my 16-year-old daughter does not know the difference. Yes.
1: She uh, she doesn't know that making duck lips in a sunset is actually not something what to aspire to. I don't
0: know what that yes. is. is that... Well, yeah, it's uh, it, it's an interesting thing for me. I see social media as a tool, as a way to keep up, all those things. And I just feel like it's also got this really kind of dark yeah underbelly to it you know that just allows a kind of a lot of crappy things to be spread and um and i think that um uh, that that you know is i think it's my belief that that's feeding to the anxiety levels of teenagers right now yeah and i yeah. say that seeing teenagers you know pretty often and um you know but you know i talked to my daughter about that and she doesn't think that you know she says things like um you know, well, when Rock and Roll came out, people thought that everybody that listened to that were going to hell. So, you know, you know, they thought that was going to be a bad influence. Everybody's going to be doing drugs, listening to Rock and Roll. I'm like, well, I don't really think that's the same thing, but okay. You know, I mean, it's...
1: Just send her to her room. Yeah. And then I say, <laughs>
0: take her car keys and, no, you know, she's, she's a... I do question myself, though, because I'm like, you know, I'm the mom and, Uh, you know, there's this whole new generation and kids these days and, you know, like all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, it's it is, you know, I question. But
1: well, thank you for uh, not only reading your your blog post, but having such uh, an interesting and nuanced conversation about some really complicated shit. Thank you for posting your stuff out there you are well um done. and um what is the web address where people can check out your art or your blog <laughs> post we'll put these links under the show notes okay
0: yeah because my name is hard to spell it's dot com and um and uh
1: Mariny is m-a-r-i-g-n-y
0: yep and goodyear just like the tire no relation um and art dot com, and um there's a section in the menu that just says art ventures and that's my blog cool yeah thank you thank you for having me
1: my pleasure many many thanks to to marini um before we take it out with some surveys i want to give a shout out to one of our sponsors madison reed for decades women have had two options for coloring their hair outdated at home color or the time and expense of a salon? Well, you can have professional hair color delivered to your door for less than 25 bucks. No, I'm not pulling your leg. I wouldn't do that. Madison Reed delivers gray covering, game-changing color you can do at home and look as if you just came from the salon. What makes Madison Reed color unique? is that it's crafted by master colorists who blend nuances of light, dark, cool, and warm to create over 45 gorgeous multi-tonal shades. The feedback from listeners has been overwhelmingly great. Uh, People love the convenience, the price, the pleasant smell, uh, the lack of toxic chemicals and most importantly, the quality of color. So find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com and you guys get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit with code MENTAL. That's code MENTAL at madison-reed.com and as always, we will put the links to anything we mention on the podcast under the show notes for this. want to also give a shout out to Calm. You show me someone who doesn't battle stress, and I will show you someone who isn't paying attention. Uh, Calm, if you've never tried it, it's the number one app to help you reduce your anxiety and stress and help you sleep better. It's really cool. More than 40 million people around the world have downloaded it, and that's no accident. Mil- millions of people don't accidentally <laughs> download this app. If you head to calm.com slash mental, you get 25% off a Calm premium subscription. <laughs> Maybe I'm a little stressed. Maybe I need to, to to pause right here and go do the app. If you head to calm.com/mental, you get 25% off a Calm premium subscription, which includes guided meditations on issues like anxiety, stress, and focus, including a brand new meditation each day. Sleep stories, which are really cool. They're essentially bedtime stories for adults designed to help you relax. And boy, do they help you relax. Uh, they also have soothing music, a whole lot more stuff. So go check it out. And right now, you guys get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash mental. That's dot com slash mental. And you can get unlimited access to all of Calm's content today at calm.com slash mental. Get calm and stop stressing. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by a guy who calls himself the sniffer. He writes, I don't remember a time when I wasn't being sexually abused by my uncle. When I was four, he started asking me to try sticking fingers in my butt so that it could be bigger, though I didn't understand that he meant the actual butthole. One night, I was being babysat by the daughter of our church organist who lived down the street. I'd been to the bathroom and had made sure to stick my hand into my into the crack of my ass, as I thought I should. When I emerged from the bathroom, I needed help getting my pants buttoned and asked my babysitter to help. When she was done buttoning my pants, she asked if I had washed my hands. I didn't understand personal hygiene at the time and offered my hands for inspection for her to decide if it was necessary. She caught a whiff of my hands and laughed at me, taking me to the bathroom to wash up. Later, it became clear she had shared this with others, and it was something of a joke around our neighborhood and at church. She went on to become a Miss, fill in the state name here, and I grew up to be a drunk, though five years free from alcohol and cigs at this time. The other day, I went to open a new bank account at a credit union. The person who opened my account? The babysitter. We made the usual chit-chat that people do, and as I was leaving, she took the time to ask if I needed to wash my hands. Oh, fuck. Oh, there was an awfulsome moment I read a couple of years ago, with a guy who was having surgery was some type of surgery on his genitals that he was really embarrassed about and the nurse the nurse recognized him from high school and he said no that's my uh I'm his twin brother and she said well that's weird because right here it says your name This is a happy moment filled out by Redwood Red, and she, she writes, watching my eight-year-old sleep peacefully and feeling like everything pure and true and decent and lovely in my life is represented by this happy, healthy child that so far, so good, I broke the cycle of violence, poverty, and chaos I was raised in, that I am so grateful for that tiny, peaceful, happy moment. It's so sweet. That is so sweet. Thank you for that this is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself embarrassingly making my third trip to taco bell this week she is uh in her 20s identifies as pansexual was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment i would say more than pretty dysfunctional i would say chaos ever been the victim of sexual abuse uh some stuff happened but i don't know if it counts No overt incest or assault, but there was verbal abuse growing up. Things like my stepdad commenting on my breast size or cracking jokes at my expense. Uh, By the way, that is a form of sexual abuse or sexualizing a child, and that is fucking abusive. That's not just uncomfortable, that's abusive. He seemed very entertained by my existence when I hit puberty. A gross thing that sticks out is if I was working around the house and had a quote plumber's crack, he would stick his finger in it and laugh as like a hazing punishment. That is sexual abuse. That is... that's... yeah you would be removed from the home or he would be removed from the home it would definitely be investigated because that is super fucked up Uh, i can't stand being touched as a joke by people i hate tickling Uh, can't read it as anything other than abuse my parents mom and stepdad uh, dad is very normal would occasionally overshare in a isn't this funny kind of way but it was never funny just awful and awkward Stepdad loves to test the limits of this. I understand that my mom had cheated on my dad with my stepdad and left the marriage to be with him. One night, casually at the dinner table, my stepdad mentioned that he had had sex with my mother while she was pregnant with me. in parentheses, let that sink in. My mother didn't deny it or shut him down. She just started cracking up. Thinking about the disrespect in that moment towards me and my father, makes my blood boil as it should and i think that's a super healthy response that you're having i hope you're i hope you're setting boundaries with them or cutting contact because if they don't if they're not willing to wake up and accept a different point of view of how their behavior affects other people they don't deserve to have you in their life and i'm not saying they're bad people i'm they're sick they're probably wounded don't have any tools and are Living in either ignorance or uh, denial. For some reason, my hands are cold. I was just blowing my hands like I'm at a football game. (sighs) Uh, Any positive experiences with the abusers? Oh, of course, my stepdad was as passionately affectionate as he was hurtful. Boy, you want to fuck up kid up? Do that. Do that. Kids need consistency. And I'm not saying parents shouldn't ever make mistakes. Parents are going to make mistakes. But you know when a parent has good intentions and when they are just letting their shit out on their kid. Or at least I would like to think. Receiving words of encouragement from him made me feel on top of the world. I had to keep that up, though. If I was doing well, he would let me know it, and if I wasn't living up to expectations, oh boy, he let me have it. My parents would always treat me well on holidays with good food and good gifts. It definitely does feel weird, though, and it makes it harder to criticize what happened because of it. I think it would be hard for me to argue to them that they had hurt me. How you treat somebody emotionally has nothing to do with the gifts that you give them. That gifts do not negate abuse, they do not wipe it out. Darkest thoughts. I have pretty vanilla thoughts, but a lot of rage. I'm frequently getting mad at people and thinking about screaming at them, fighting them, leaving them. I never do this. It's all internal. I think my friends would be horrified to learn that I have fantasized about screaming in their faces. They don't know I have these thoughts at all. I feel insane thinking all these nasty, mean thoughts and then greeting my loved ones with a smile. I've been casually suicidal for about 10 years, but no plans, except in a few desperate times. I think the... these thoughts are just a way that I blow off steam. I'm terrified of them spilling out and hurting people. You know, my, my thought is find a healthy way to let these out. And, uh, you know, I'm not a therapist, but I know there are ways. I've heard of people, you know, hitting dummies with baseball bats. And by dummies, I mean people that aren't very bright. Just walking up behind them on the sidewalk. And not you don't hit them in the head. You clip them in the back of the knee. That takes him down. and you stand over him. You put the butt end of the baseball bat on their chest, and you go, "Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were somebody else." And chip your hat, and you're on your way. Darkest secrets. My family history is pretty juicy, and only a few closest friends know about it. As far as anyone knowing, as far as anyone knows, my parents simply divorced, and my mom remarried. My mom was a hoarder, and I have only ever had two of my closest lifelong friends visit the house. Uh, Raised by Hoarders was a great episode, by the way. Uh, there was a constant air of shame and secrecy surrounding my parents' house and its dysfunction, and nobody was supposed to know about it. My stepdad would become furious when I shared seemingly innocuous things about my life with others. It was very isolating, and I still carry this feeling like I'm in trouble at the principal's office when speaking candidly about my life as an adult. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I don't really think about it, honestly, and this is a source of shame for me. I feel like I'm disappointing my partner with my lack of sexual appetite, and I know if I don't do something about this libido problem soon, then our relationship could be in trouble. I haven't told anyone about this at all. I feel like people would be horrified to learn how little sex we've been having and would insist that the relationship is already over. I love my partner, but I just feel so icky being touched intimately. And what you just said there is sadly so common and such an important thing to address and to heal from because I believe that people can relearn to be intimate. You know, um, what happened to you fucked up your ability to, to trust as it would anybody's. And who wouldn't want to shut down when somebody gets in close. I mean look at the, the history of your life is people would get in close to you and they'd stick their finger down your crack, or they'd berate you, or, or they'd praise you, you know, which for some abusers was the way that they would lure you in to hurt you. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I want to confront my parents, but I don't even know where to begin. Maybe I just don't have to. I also never got to hear my dad's side of the story when my mom cheated on him. I'm not sure if he even knows that I know the gritty details. I have no idea if this would be liberating for him to have that conversation with me or triggering. I don't want to hurt him further. I can't believe he kept me in his life. My mom once told me that because I exist, she can never truly move on with her life from that relationship. I could care less about that tactless comment, but my immediate reaction was to wonder, in horror, if my dad felt this way too. I have to believe not. I have to believe not. And your mom sounds like a really, really sick, hurting person. You know, the the, the cliche, hurt people hurt people. And... You know, I hope I don't come across as demonizing because I do try to have compassion for people who are abusive, but that doesn't mean that we should ever stand there and take it because that's what a quote, good family member does. What, if anything, do you wish for? All I want is to move on with my life and to have it be healthy, independent, and happy. I don't want to carry this pain and I don't want to pass it down if I have children on my own. I want to raise a child to be happy and autonomous and loved. The ball is in your court because you can't change what happened to you, but you can decide whether or not you are worth putting in the effort to heal and set boundaries with people and take care of yourself. And in my experience, that's where any self-love I have has come from. And it's an amazing feeling, and I'm able to be intimate today. And I never thought that was going to be possible. Have you shared these things with others? My partner is very supportive, and I've shared things here and there with some lifelong friends. I don't know... How to present this information to some new, also mentally ill, friends who have had more traumatic backgrounds. It feels tone deaf and tactless to compare trauma, even though I know I am valid too. You can talk about trauma without making it a contest. You know, a good thing to to start off with the the friends I've heard of people doing that is uh, exchange fears and loves. It's a really good way to kind of get a sense of who's comfortable talking about emotions and and who isn't. And it can really bring you closer to people. How do you feel after writing these things down? Very tired and shaky. I'm at work and this was probably a bad idea. I got to finish my shift after triggering myself. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences. You have to express yourself. You can't just keep it inside thinking that other people have it worse. It causes so much more emotional damage and makes recovery that much harder. So true. So true. Thank you for that. This is a kind of a heavy email that I got um, from a woman whose boyfriend, -boyfriend, ex-boyfriend, took his life. But I think it's really important, and sometimes I worry. I, you know, oh, am I making the show too heavy or too dark? But um, I, I feel like I have to, I have to read these things because I just have to. And she wants to be referred to as. Oh, I forgot how she wanted to be referred to. Hey Paul, a week ago my boyfriend died I'm so angry and sad He beat me till I was covered in blood and bruises Almost killed me and raped me I just kept going back to him and this went on for two years I never got physical or cheated on him But I did say hurtful things The relationship was so toxic But I stayed because I believed he was crazy in love with me Honestly, I would rather have hit Have a man hit me and be loyal than get cheated on It's fucked up Near the end of the relationship, I found out he was sleeping with other girls and used my sex toys on them. That's when I had the courage to leave. So when I left, he threatened to kill himself. He said women deserve to get hit if they act like bitches. So I blocked him from everything. He kept calling me off a restricted number every single day. I know he was depressed. Uh, He was an alcoholic and slept with women because I couldn't do the abuse anymore, but I would keep going back and forth. Eventually, he stopped calling me. It turns out he called me one last time and died hours later. I can't believe he's gone. I haven't cried as much as the times he made me cry when he was alive. Yesterday, I got a message from his mother. She told me I don't have a right to put pictures online of him and write how much I love him and miss him. She said it's my fault I made him sick, and his two-year-old daughter will never get to know him, Uh, in parentheses, not my child. She called me a cunt. The whole family has accused me of quote killing him they have spread rumors to everyone that i got him robbed and jumped oh i'm sorry i i misremembered this i thought that he had taken his life i'm so sorry um and harassed him to the point oh yes he did uh, take his life and i harassed him to the point he killed himself so now i have lost friends i've gotten hate messages for his death he was already a sick man but it's sad i have this impact on his family In the past, she even watched him beat me and saw pictures of my bloody face. Her response was, you should have walked away. I met the girl he cheated on me with, and she said he had flu-like symptoms before he passed and didn't think it was his suicide. Who knows? I'm still in disbelief he died. I left him because I needed the relationship to end, not to have him end his life. Now I have to live up to people believing I, quote, killed him. I'm just so confused with life right now. And I wrote her back and said, you did not kill your ex. Nobody is responsible for another person's suicide. From what you described, he was a sick, sick person from a sick, sick family. And your decision to leave him was incredibly healthy. It was his responsibility to get help or to not get help for his drinking and womanizing. And if anyone is a cunt, it's his mom. Deep down, she probably feels guilty, but is projecting it onto you as are probably other people. I'm not a mental health professional, and what you experienced is so deep and intense, I highly recommend getting therapy or some type of support group, maybe a grief or domestic violence support group, or maybe even one for codependents of alcoholics. While his death is the biggest source of your pain right now, ultimately, to have the life you want, you might have to find ways to avoid toxic people in your life. And for most of us, myself included, that involved getting help and working on our traumas and low self-esteem. Be kind to yourself and fuck anyone who is shaming you. This is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself satisfied, and she writes, My partner tends to have extreme feelings of jealousy that he struggles to work through. When he offered to have a threesome with another man, I was shocked terrified, and undeniably excited. I really wanted to believe him when he said this was something he wanted to do because it would make me happy. We found a guy we both got along with and the night rolled around starting with drinks. Even though we were all laughing and having a great time, I was on guard. Eventually, we made our way to the bedroom and got busy. I couldn't, they were actually doing their taxes. The fucking comes later. Um, I couldn't believe how incredible this experience was, but in the back of my mind, I was slightly nervous about my partner becoming jealous or hurt. However, he blew those thoughts right out of the water. When I was finishing up with the other guy, my partner went to get us all bottles of water. Then they high-fived each other while passing in the hall. True love. I swear that I had heart emoji eyes for a week after that. I'm going to tell you, the high-fiving made me a little uncomfortable. Because it's so broy, um, what the the protocol is is that you stop, you bow to each other, and then you pop lock to the bossa nova. But you do not do the caterpillar because you don't want shiz on the carpet. And then finally, this is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Lily. She writes, last night I decided that I was going to kill myself, but I was too short to get up on the wall of the parking garage. I texted and called people from my group therapy for help, and one called me and another person drove to me and sat with me outside my car as I cried like a little bitch. You cried like a human being. I texted my roommates asking for them to come get me, and they promptly did, and asked me to talk out what triggered it. And this time, I missed a lot of assignments and needed to email, email my professors. And so I mean, emailed them uh, that I have depression and am not suicidal. At two in the morning, as I sat on the couch so I could avoid my room. Oh, I'm sorry. That was part of the other sentence. <laughs> I'm going to read that fucking thing again. Uh, I texted my roommates, asking for them to come get me. And they promptly did and asked me to talk out what triggered it. And this time, I missed a lot of assignments and needed to email my professors, and so I emailed them that I have depression, not suicidal, at 2 in the morning as I sat on the couch so I could avoid my room. I went to my class today, which is a horticulture lab, and one of the professors I had to email was the one who led that lab. She pulled me aside after class and showed me part of the greenhouse that was filled with beautiful and exotic plants. She gave me permission to go in whenever I needed to and just breathe. I wanted to cry and hug her. I didn't because I don't even know her in that way, but her attempt to empathize and help meant the world to me. It's amazing. Thank you for that. That's so beautiful. Um, despite your grammar making me look bad. Because uh, I'm going to put that on you. Not the fact that uh, I'm a... I'm a senile old man who can't read extended sentences but that is such a beautiful moment and such a great example of the power of small kind gestures witnessing somebody else's pain connecting to them saying I see you and doing something nice for them and not in a codependent or unmeshed way. And we all have the power to do that every day. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you're out there and you're struggling, let, let today or tonight be the, the night that you open up or ask for help or try something different. I'm glad I did because I get to do this show and I get to meet awesome, awesome people and hear life changing stories. And I wouldn't get to do that if I just continued drinking and thinking about suicide. So never forget that you are not alone. And thanks for listening.